solo pod today we're talking syracuse basketball of course they took the win over cornell a game that i will say i was worried about uh probably more than the average person if you listen to our friday episode uh you probably knew that i'll talk about the win and give you my takeaways from it all on lockdown syracuse it's right now our locked on syracuse your daily podcast on the syracuse orange part of the locked on podcast network your team every day. At Bonaparte with you on your Monday episode of Lockdown Syracuse. Thanks for making it your first listen every day. Free and available wherever you get podcasts. And today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. They help you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash college. That's LinkedIn.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So Syracuse took down Cornell uh, inside the JMA Wireless Dome, 78-63, to the 15-point W. It was tied at halftime. Syracuse looked pretty bad to begin. They were down early. Some people on Twitter were saying it's it was the Colgate game all over again. Uh, they couldn't hit a shot, blah, blah, blah. They were allowing threes, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then in the second half, as Jim Beheim said in the post-game press conference, Cornell just stopped shooting well. They couldn't, I don't know what happened to them. Maybe uh, the Monstars took their abilities, but they just, they ended the game shooting 27% from three, 27.1% from three. Uh, They were really, really bad. 32.9% overall from the floor. And they only had two guys in double digits, Nazir Williams and Sean Hansen. So I think that you could partially chalk this win up to, some really bad Clemson offense. Uh, and, and like I said, that's what Jim Beheim chalked it up to in the post-game press conference. Um, and I think some people in our replies, at least, were trying to say that's not the case. Really, Syracuse is actually just good. And, and I think there's merit to that as well. Uh, they definitely showed in this game uh, some what they haven't showed uh, throughout the entire season. I mean, Chris Bell... Uh, He played a really good game in this one. 13 points. He had that massive block. And how about five rebounds for the kid? Uh, He's been harped on all season long for the lack of rebounds. Bayheim says that he doesn't rebound, that he's not going to play, blah, blah, blah. Career high, season high. He's only played 12 games in his career. A season high, five rebounds. Most he had before that was three. Came against Georgetown as well as Northeastern. Uh and they only, he only had two one other time. Otherwise, it was one or zero for Chris Bell. So uh, I'm happy to see him going out there and doing more of the job that I think Bayheim wants and that I think the team needs him to do. Because if you've been watching Syracuse basketball for one season, two seasons, 40 seasons, you know that the three needs to be able to rebound the ball and needs to be able to play a really strong uh, part of that zone defense because it's it's really an integral part. Uh, like we've talked about many times, Jesse Edwards, if he didn't get hurt last year, would have been the top rebounder on the team. Now, it ended up he got hurt, 
And Cole Swider was the leading rebounder alongside Jimmy Beheim. It was the forwards. It wasn't Frank Anselm. I mean, he did rebound pretty well at the end of the year, um, despite Beheim saying he couldn't jump. But it was Cole Swider and, and Jimmy Beheim that picked up a lot of that slack because that's what the forward positions uh, on a Syracuse team need to be able to do. Uh, this is also a really solid game from Joe Girard. He led the scoring uh, drive with 19 points, hit three threes. He played pretty well, hit a couple uh, shots that I think kept him in the game early on, and then he kept uh, the momentum going. So this is always what happens with Joe Girard. And I said this was going to happen when he had that really huge lull uh, in the St. John's game and the couple games afterwards where he scored 31 against uh, Richmond in the first game of the Barclays Center tournament. Um, and it was his career high. And then he was terrible. He was terrible. He was terrible. Everybody hates on him. And I think a lot of it was probably warranted. Definitely some of it not because people just like to latch on to hate uh, whenever it comes around. And, and that definitely isn't what um, I think the Syracuse fan base should be going for because Joe Girard has done a lot. Uh, for the basketball program, regardless of the fact that if he's overrated, underrated, whatever you think, it doesn't matter. Um, he did play terribly, absolutely, and I was the first person to say that. But you also then have to give him credit where credit's due, and I think a lot of people don't like doing that. And in a game like this where he leads the scoring way, was he insanely good and scored 40 points? No, but he was a, a, a valiant option. And I, a lot of people said he should be benched, blah, 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 he shouldn't start, whatever. I don't think that. I think if he starts playing poorly, Bayheim should adapt and take him out instead of just letting him chuck up threes. Though there is good conversation. There's there's a decent argument to be had for that that shouldn't happen and instead leave him in because what's more dangerous for the lineup? A Joe Girard that is no threat to shoot for the defense or a Joe Girard that could hit a three but keeps missing? Um, I think a lot of people are going to be on both sides of that argument um, because for one, he could stop hurting the offense if you, if you take him out. But the other side of that coin is then the defense knows he's not an option. You just lost another uh, guy on the offensive end that the defense has to worry about. So anyway, I'm off on a tangent, um, but you make up your own opinion about that. I think Gerard was good for this game and nobody's going to give him enough credit. So I want to give him some, uh, but you had five guys in double digits in this game. Gerard had 19, Judah Mintz had 14, Bell 13, uh, Benny Williams had 12, and Jesse Edwards had 11. I love Benny. I really love Benny. I think he's awesome. Um, another guy that might be an unsung hero right now, he got so much hate his freshman year. Oh, he wasn't what he was you know, advertised as. This guy was a four-star. Some people said he could have been a one-and-done, whatever. And through all of that, and I think we talked about this a little bit on the last episode, through all of that, at the end of the year, when asked about, somebody maybe hinted about being transferred, I can't remember the exact situation in which he got it brought up to him, but he said, I'm staying. No, I'm not transferring. I'm going to figure it out here. This is where I want to be. You have to commend that, and you got to love him for that because he wants to be a member of the Syracuse Orange. And did he ever pick it up? Two points per game last year, up to eight points per game this year, up to five rebounds per game, a steal a game. He has been really, really good and, and a solid member of the starting five, one that you don't really have to worry about. He's got the shot going, even though it's a laser beam. There is no arc to that thing. The dude just shoots laser beams into the basket. 
I love the kid. He's athletic. If you get to start, I mean, he had that one almost putback where he just almost tomahawked it right back in, and that would have been. I mean, the dome would have, the roof would have lifted off that place. Uh, but he, you know, he's he's got crazy athleticism and a guy that you just got to love and really be excited for going forward. Um, so, Benny, keep doing what you're doing. Could hit a three in this game, too. Uh, let's talk about Judamans. Now, Judah, actually, let's take a quick break, and then we'll talk about Judamans. This one brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Go create a free job post on LinkedIn. It's very easy. Then add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame so you're, or to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so... We're talking Judamints. This is Lockdown Syracuse. I'm Matt Bonaparte. Um, this is a game where Judah was not a huge factor. He didn't play that well. Six for 16 from the floor. He shot three threes. I think we can all agree. I, I Honestly, I think he's shooting the threes. I don't know who's telling him to shoot the threes. Maybe he's working with GMAC and they're trying new stuff out. Is it helpful? No. Um. And maybe he's going to get into the same situation. Obviously, he's a better talent, but maybe he gets into the same situation he did with, or that Kadari Richmond got with Jim at the end of that 2021 campaign in the tournament. Um, you know, Jim said he didn't want Kadari shooting any threes, and Kadari didn't like that. And ultimately, it was one of the factors that I think ended up to him leaving. Obviously, Jim said he didn't want to play here, he didn't want to work, blah, blah, blah. There's some interesting quotes on him. One that uh, came in an interview with Brad Klein, former co-host of Locked On Syracuse. So maybe go check that out um, somewhere. But Judah shooting the three is not something that's helping the offense right now. Now, the other thing I was going to say is maybe he's shooting it because he wants to prove he can hit it. Because like we've talked about on the pod many a times, you're not going to be a one and done as a guard if you can't hit a three-point shot. There are very little guards in the NBA that can't really consistently hit a three-pointer. I don't know if you could name five. Um, maybe I'm wrong about that, and somebody's going to name five in the comments or something. But I really like in this in today's game where everybody has to be able to shoot. I mean, it just doesn't really – it won't work. Um, and is the kid crazy athletic and has really great moves and handles – uh, and wherewithal and awareness around the basket. Yeah, he's awesome. He can dunk really well. He's great around the rim. He's got good vision. He makes a nice pass here and there. Had 10 assists a couple of games ago. Uh, and, I mean, that three-point shot's probably the thing that might keep him out of the NBA right now. Um, but, regardless, I'd, I'd like to get to a point with this team where I mean, we're hitting ACC play now. The next game is Pitt. 
And we've talked about a couple times that this uh, next three games, they're not that difficult. Pitt, Boston College, and then Louisville. However, I will say all of those games on Ken Palm are within 10 points. Pitt is only projected to be a three-point win for Syracuse. Ken Palm says 70 to 67. BC, a 10-point win, 70 to 60. And then Louisville, a seven-point win, 70 to 63. Um, But... The, there have to be some defined roles is what I was getting at um, because we're at a point in the season where things are going to ramp up and get a lot harder. They did what they had to do. Absolutely. And they won those five games or they won those four games really. Cause we didn't really think they were going to win the Notre Dame game, but they did. So they got that done. They won five games in a row. That's what they had to do if they wanted to keep their tournament hopes alive and they did it, but it all gets harder from here. So you really need to figure out what the offense is going to be and who's going to have the ball and what the story is going to be because you can't just keep hoping that some guy's going to get it going and, and have you to take random shots um, and keep missing and then go six for 16 and, and not really help the team all that much. Did he play well at times? Sure. But he really wasn't anything special uh, in that game. Um, I also feel like sometimes – he thinks he has to do it all on his own. So that's something I think he gets into a lot. But, you know, I feel like that comes with any young phenom or any freshman college basketball player that's already the best player on the team. Because he is. He's the best player on this team. Most talented player, 100%. No doubt about it. Uh, and Beheim said that in press conferences before. But, you know, when you when you show up and you're the young one of the youngest guys on the team, and you're already the best, there probably is a little bit of, I've got to get it going. I have to do it. It's all on me. Because, you know, he's young, and he's still learning. Um, so that's probably something he just has to grow out of. Because at the end of the day, something important to remember is that he's still human. And does he get the ball sometimes? And it's very obvious that he thinks he all has, he has to do it all on his own. Sure. Um, but that's not going to fly when you play teams that – have solid defenses and are D1 programs and can really shut you down. He's going to get slapped in the face, um, theoretically or uh, metaphorically, by a couple of those defenses. Um, Malik Brown was awesome in this game. He was really good. And I think a lot of people, including myself, are pumped that he got 13 minutes, which is tied Symir for the most from the bench. Uh, he was really, really good. And he didn't have like a great statistical performance. Four points, four rebounds, a couple offensive rebounds, a block and a steal. That's all I need. That's all he ever needs to do, really. And every time Syracuse went on a run, Malik Brown was on the floor. I mean, that guy, he just plays really, he's athletic. I was saying this before he before the season started, that he was one of the guys who is the most ready to play right now. And I was getting clowned for it in the comments. People were saying, oh, Matt doesn't know basketball, blah, blah, blah. What are you saying now? Huh? Huh? Malik Brown looks freaking good, man. I'm telling you. Malik Brown could be really, really good for this team off the bench. Especially when you have a guy in Monir Hema, who I think is also really good, but judging by the weird, sporadic amounts of play that Jim has been giving him, I don't know if he's 100% healthy all the time because we know he got hurt a little bit earlier. I, I I have to assume he's still dealing with that because he doesn't get more than around four to eight minutes a game. He had four in this one. Uh, but point being, 
Malik Brown being helpful down low. And I'm not saying he could play the center 100% of the time or back up Jesse regularly, but he could play down there. That guy's good. Uh, don't sleep on him. Um, all right, I want to shift gears and talk about the Bayheim press conference a little bit. Uh, I don't know if everybody watched it. I really think you should because he talked talked about the game, of course, but he also talked about the late, great um, – Louis Orr, who passed away very recently, um, he had a lot of great stuff to say. So I'm actually just going to play it um, really quick. Let me just get this together. So bear with me for a second. Okay. Here we go. And I'm going to tell you that uh, about... Two weeks after I got this job, I went to Cincinnati, Ohio, because a friend of mine said a friend of his had a player out there. I said, well, today's world, I probably wouldn't have done anything. I probably would have said, yeah, okay. I got on a plane, went to Cincinnati. I watched this kid in the gym playing against some college kids. When I walked in, the the guy had told me he was 6'8", which was true, he was. And he weighed 160 pounds, maybe. And he got knocked down about six times in five minutes while I'm watching him. But the interesting thing, he got up every time and made a basket or got a rebound every time. And uh, <clears throat> that kid was Lewis Orr. And... Uh, I've been fortunate. I've had a lot of great players. I've had a lot of great people. Louis Orr was a great player. Make no mistake about it, he was a great player. I, I remember Gail Catla went to West Virginia. He was at Cincinnati, he didn't recruit Louis. And Cincinnati came, or West Virginia came in here and Gail came in here and Louis had 20 and 20. <laughs> After the game, I think Gail said, he's pretty good, that guy. I said, yeah, he's pretty good, Dale. But he's the best off the court that any program has ever had. Uh, I had him and Hal Cohen and Roosevelt Bowie in my first class. They won 100 games, which wasn't done at that time because you didn't play that many. They went to every class. They were early at every practice. They never did anything wrong, ever. I mean, ever. And we didn't have academic tutoring. We didn't have any of that stuff. They had, you know, A's, mostly B's. And Lewis Orr never changed in his whole life. He was good to people, everybody. Uh, I, like I said, I've been lucky. I've had a lot of great people and great players, but he's is the best of them all. And uh, it was hard coaching today, really hard. I got to go. We'll see. Super touching stuff from Coach uh, about Lewis Orr. Uh, I think, obviously, I never got to meet Lewis Orr or anything like that, so I'm not going to tell you that. But I will say – when people talk about Bayheim's legacy, I feel like they don't talk about that early team 
as much as maybe they should with Roosevelt Bowie uh, and Lewis Orr. Um, but, you know, with him passing away recently, a lot of people have been, you know, coming out of the woodwork on social media and whatnot to, you know, praise him and, and not only say how much of a great basketball player he was, uh, but also just how much of a good human. So um, just a quick shout out to Lewis Orr, and I'm glad uh, that everybody listening and watching this podcast got to hear uh, what Jim Beheim had to say about him. All right, let's take a quick break before we wrap up this episode. Uh, this break brought to you by BetOnline.net. It's your number one source for sports betting, info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from pro football to college bowl season to basketball and the World Cup. It's They've got it all at BetOnline.net. If you love sports podcasts, they've got those too. They're the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. All righty. Back here on Locked On Syracuse, I am Matt Bonaparte. Uh, People in the Twitter replies, I'm just looking through them a little bit um, after our our post-win thoughts tweet. Somebody said Cornell is a solid team with their two previous losses to ACC teams by a combined four points. That's going to be a team to root for to make the tournament. Good point. You're going to be wanting to root for Cornell from this point on because you want that win to turn into a good one. Uh, they did lose to Miami by two, 107-105, which I think is a recent eye, and a lot of other people were worried about this game. You see a team like Cornell put up 105 points against an ACC team, one that Syracuse will play, and you get a little bit worried. Uh, they lost to BC by two points on opening night, so – there definitely is some merit to that. Cornell, definitely a team that uh, we're all going to be rooting for as the season goes along. Um, another guy says, slow starts are concerning, definitely, but he loves the athleticism. They're moving in the right direction. The slow starts are concerning because against a team like Cornell, you were able to win it in the second half and really focus on it and and, and pick it up during the first half so you could tie it by halftime. But that's not going to work against good teams, against a lot of ACC teams. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the power conference teams are a power conference for a reason. And are, are some of them worse than um, mid-majors? Of course they are. Of course they are. But, you know, we've seen Syracuse struggle against Pitt very recently. In the last couple of seasons, they've been tough to beat. Uh, and, you know, other teams, Georgia Tech, whatever, they you don't know who's going to give Syracuse a fit because there's talent everywhere in the ACC regardless of whether or not teams are winning every single game. Um, Louisville just beat Western Kentucky. Louisville's terrible. They're one and nine now, but there's still a talent on that roster. Um, So, you know, you can't take any game for granted and just say chalk it up as a win, especially when Syracuse is coming out. And, you know, like this guy said, they're losing really early in these games and they have to claw their way back in in a game like this. You had the guys shooting and it worked out and the bench minutes helped you, but someday, like we all know it's true. Gerard's going to go cold and Judah's going to huck up a bunch of shots and be really inefficient. And you're not really, really going to know where to turn. Maybe you finally get something out of Justin Taylor consistently. I mean, he had a shocker of a game. Seven minutes and not a single statistic except for one single assist. That's it. He was awful. Didn't even take a single shot in the game. Uh, So, I mean, 
he had that 25 points against Bryant, but other, other than that, has really not shown us anything. Uh, we got to see something out of him. Quadir Copeland hasn't shown me much to where he fits into the team. He looks good, but he plays such limited minutes. Uh, Samir looked fine, but, you know, the bench is still weird. And I think partly because Bayheim, like he said preseason, they're going to play 10 guys. I don't really think so. The, he'll find his eight tops that he likes and he'll play seven of them for however long. And the eighth guy gets some minutes, maybe the ninth guy and the eighth guy combined for eight minutes or something like that. So, I mean, when you're coming up to ACC play, you kind of got to hammer that out because you can't just be playing random guys every game. Is it going to keep legs fresh? Yeah. And that's going to be the benefit of it, but you're going to have, you just can't have unsolidified rotations. I don't like not knowing who's going to come in. Um, and I don't know how other people feel about that, but those are just my thoughts. Um, we'll have another pod tomorrow talking about whatever. Uh, maybe we'll get a mailbag in this week. I want to hear your questions about the team that hopefully we can answer about football as well. Pinstripe bowl against Minnesota coming up and, and it's looking weird. Sean Tucker off to the NFL. Jihad Carter's transferring. Deuce Chestnut's transferring. Who's going to play in this game? <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that probably this week as well. But uh, thanks for making Lockdown Syracuse your first listen today. Go make your second listen. Peter Bukowski brings you the biggest uh, stories from around the sports world in 20 minutes on the Lockdown Sports Today podcast. Get the analysis and opinions before anyone else with our local and national experts and insiders. Lockdown Sports Today, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.